Section 14 of Hinduism and Buddhism and Historical Sketch, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Hinduism and Buddhism and Historical Sketch, Volume 1 by Charles Eliot. Eastern Pessimism and Renunciation but the charge of pessimism against eastern religions is so important that we must consider other aspects of it for though the charge is wrong it is wrong only because those who bring it do not use quite the right word and indeed it would be hard to find the right word in a european language the temperament and theory described as pessimism are european they imply an attitude of revolt a right to judge and grumble why did the deity make something out of nothing what was his object but this is not the attitude of eastern thought it generally holds that we cannot imagine nothing that the world process is without beginning or end and that man must learn how to make the best of it the far east purged buddhism of much of its pessimism but we see that the first truth about suffering is little more than an admission of the existence of evil which all religions and common sense admit evil ceases in the saint nirvana in this life is perfect happiness and though striving for the material improvement of the world is not held up conspicuously as an ideal in the buddhist scriptures or for that matter in the new testament yet it is never hinted that good effort is vain a king should be a good king renunciation is a great word in the religions of both europe and asia but in europe it is almost active except to advanced mystics it means abandoning a natural attitude and deliberately assuming another which it is difficult to maintain something similar is found in india in the legends of those ascetics who triumphed over the flesh until they became very gods in power footnote even when low-class yogis display the tortures which they inflict on their bodies their object i think is not to show what penances they undergo but simply that pleasure and pain are alike to them End footnote. but it is also a common view in the east that he who renounces ambition and passion is not struggling against the world and the devil but simply leading a natural life his passions indeed obey his will and do not wander here and there according to their fancy but his temperament is one of acquiescence not resistance he takes his place among the men beasts and plants around him and ceasing to struggle finds that his own soul contains happiness in itself most europeans consider man as the centre and lord of the world or if they are very religious as its vice-regent under god he may kill or otherwise maltreat animals for his pleasure or convenience his task is to subdue the forces of nature nature is subservient to him and to his destinies without man nature is meaningless much the same view was held by the ancient greeks and in less acute form by the jews and romans swinburne's line glory to man in the highest for man is the master of things is overbold for professing christians but it expresses both the modern scientific sentiment and the ancient hellenic sentiment but such a line of poetry would i think be impossible in india or in any country to the east of it there man is thought of as part of nature not its centre or master footnote 
the sense of human dignity was strongest among the early buddhists they or some of them held that an arhat is superior to a god or as we should say to an angel and that a god cannot enter the path of salvation and become an arhat in footnote above him are formidable hosts and deities and spirits and even european engineers cannot subdue the genii of the flood and typhoon below but still not separated from him are the various tribes of birds and beasts a good man does not kill them for pleasure nor eat flesh but even those whose aspirations to virtue are modest treat animals as humble brethren rather than as lower creatures over whom they have dominion by divine command this attitude is illustrated by chinese and japanese art in architecture this art makes its principle that palaces and temples should not dominate a landscape but fit into it and adapt their lines to its features for the painter flowers and animals form a sufficient picture by themselves and are not felt to be inadequate because man is absent portraits are frequent but a common form of european composition namely a group of figures subordinated to a principal one though not unknown is comparatively rare how scanty are the records of great men in india great buildings attract attention but who knows the names of the architects who planned them or the kings who paid for them we are not quite sure of the date of kalidasa the indian shakespeare and though the doctrines of sankara kabir and nanak still nourish it is with difficulty that the antiquary collects from the meagre legends clinging to their names a few facts for their biographies a class who in europe can count on being remembered if not esteemed after death fare even worse the laborious research of europeans has shown that asoka and harsha were great monarchs their own countrymen merely say once upon a time there was a king and recount some trivial story in fact hindus have a very weak historical sense in this they are not wholly wrong the europeans undoubtedly exaggerate the historical treatment of thought and art footnote c f bosaquet gifford lectures nineteen twelve page seventy eight quote, a history is a hybrid form of experience incapable of any considerable degree of being or trueness the doubtful story of successive events cannot amalgamate with the complete interpretation of the social mind of art or of religion the great things which are necessary in themselves become within the narrative contingent or ascribed by most doubtful assumptions of insight to this actor or that on the historical stage the study of christianity is the study of a great world experience the assignment to individuals of a share in its development is a problem for scholars whose conclusions though considerable human interest can never be of supreme importance Unquote. End of footnote in science most students want to know what is certain in theory and useful in practice not what were the discarded hypotheses and imperfect instruments of the past in literature when the actors and audience are really interested the date of shakespeare and even the authorship of the play ceases to be important footnote the chinese critic she ho who lived in the sixth century of our era said quote, in art the terms ancient and modern have no place unquote this is exactly the indian view of religion End footnote. in the same way hindus want to know whether doctrines and speculations are true whether a man can make use of them in his own religious experience 
and aspirations they cared little for the date authorship unity and textual accuracy of the bhagavad-gita they simply asked is it true what can i get from it the european critic who expects nothing of the sort from the work racks his brains to know who wrote it and when who touched it up and why the hindus are also indifferent to the past because they do not recognize that the history of the world the whole cosmic process has any meaning or value in most departments of indian thought great or small the conception of talos or purpose is absent and if the european reader thinks this is a grave lacuna let him ask himself whether satisfied love has any telos for hindus the world is endless repetition not a progress towards an end creation has rarely the sense which it bears for europeans an infinite number of times the universe has collapsed in flaming or watery ruin eons of quiescence follow the collapse and then the deity he has done it an infinite number of times emits again from himself worlds and souls of the same old kind but though as i have said before all varieties of theological opinion may be found in india he is usually represented as moved by some reproductive impulse rather than as executing a plan sankara says boldly that no motive can be attributed to god because he being perfect can desire no addition to his perfection so that his creative activity is mere exuberance like the sport of young princes who take exercise though they are not obliged to do so such views are distasteful to europeans our vanity impels us to invent explanations of the universe which make our own existence important and significant nor does european science altogether support the indian doctrine of periodicity it has theories as to the probable origin of the solar system and other similar systems but it points to the conclusion that the universe as a whole is not appreciably affected by the growth or decay of its parts whereas indian imagination thinks of universal cataclysms and recurring periods of quiescence in which nothing whatever remains except the undifferentiated divine spirit western ethics generally aim to teach a man how to act eastern ethics at forming a character a good character will no doubt act rightly when circumstances require action but he need not seek occasions for action he may even avoid them and in india the passionless sage is still in popular esteem superior to warriors statesmen and scientists End of section 14